to another episode of Control the Controllables and bringing you another bonus episode uh, with all of these tennis players, tennis coaches, people of the tennis world in their hotel rooms in Melbourne. It was just such a great chance to catch up with everybody. And today we're bringing you two people and they're ready to tell the story of getting back together. I actually didn't think I'd play with Ken again. I thought by the time I had finished with Jamie, I thought Ken may have stopped. Yep. But to, to have the opportunity to play with my brother again, travel the world, play with your brother, it's, a, it's an incredible thing. And it's uh, something you need to kind of cherish and it doesn't happen all the time. So I'm looking forward to it. And I think we can uh, do some great things this year. And that's right. That's the Skupski brothers, Neil Skupski and Ken Skupski. We had them on the podcast at the very beginning, and at the time, I introduced them as Ken and Neil Skupski. We can now talk about them again as the Skupski brothers. They're two people that I know extremely well. We all went to the same university at different times out in America at the LSU Tigers. So a big shout out to all of our LSU Tiger alumni. I lived with Ken for one year as he started his college career. And then we've remained close friends. I've watched on as their careers have just done exceptionally well. You know, a good, honest family from Liverpool. You know, really loving, caring family. All very close. And at the time, Neil really wasn't a great tennis player by his own admission. You know, and then to watch him come out of college, start playing with Ken breaking into the top 100 within the first kind of six or eight months. And at that point, it was Ken who was carrying Neil. He had the ranking. He was getting him into tournaments. And now here we are, 2021, Neil Skupski. His partnership with Jamie Murray, it went well. They finished last year as the ninth best team in the world. But it maybe wasn't enough for whatever reason. It wasn't enough. And as you'll hear in the podcast what happened there? So who else is Neil going to go to? His trusty old brother. And now the shoe's on the other foot because Neil's the one with the ranking. Neil's the one that is going to be getting Ken into the events. And Neil's now the one that has the experience at these high-level events. It's fascinating hearing the boys talk about it. Their absolute love as a family comes through. True. And never have I wanted a pair, a team to do so well, and I'm sure they're going to, and they're starting their campaign in Australia, and here they are, talking to control the controllables. So the Skopsky brothers, a big welcome back to control the controllables. How are you doing, boys? Good, thanks, Dan. Good, you know, thanks for having us on. And a bit of a subtle start there, but I'll have to listen back to, I think you were episode four or five, and we're now all, almost on 100. And I'm sure I introduced you as Neil and Ken last time because you were separated at that point. But now you're, you're back. I've saw the Twitter handle, Skupski Bros. That's how I found out, actually, when the Skupski Bros put little eyes, I think, as a little, a little emoji. So, uh, yeah, how does it feel to be back? Yeah, I mean, it's great. Um it's been what probably a couple of years now we got to play maybe once or twice in that period um but it feels it feels normal i mean we we, we obviously played together for 
I think just under five years together. Um, it's not the same playing with anybody else other than your brother, considering how long we were together. Um, it felt a bit weird still playing after playing with Neil. Uh, but it's nice to be back. Um, we've got a lot of work to do on the practice courts in the next couple of weeks to prepare for the, the first event together. Um, but I'm excited. It's, it's, a, it's another new challenge. It's, it's almost like we're, we're a different team in the sense that Neil has overtaken me. He's, you know, he's, he's older, wiser. He's got more understanding of the game. And it's, it's less of a mentoring type role. It's more of we're playing as a partnership. And, and I even actually need to pick my level up to sort of match where Neil is. And, and that, before, I want to get into the Australia stuff in a minute, Neil, but that would be me. You know, you, you started with Ken as a boy. You know, you went through that journey. And I guess even if I go back to the LSU days and, you know, to the listeners, the three of us are all LSU Tigers. We all went to the same university and have that, have that connection. And then you've gone off and you've flown on your own and, you know, made semifinals of Grand Slams and, you know, put in obviously unbelievable performances, got you ranking up. Does it feel different for you this time? Yeah, I would say so. Um, like you said, coming out to LSU, I started playing with Ken. He came down to me. He was in the top 100. He came down to my level. He played a couple of futures, got me up to the challenger level. Um, and then I got to top 100 within a year. So then, like you said, Ken was kind of the, the mentor. He was the, he was the coach of the team, yeah. um, probably for the four or five years that we played together. Um, and I was always listening to Ken. I never really thought I was the leader of the team. But since I, I played with Jamie for a year and a half, I've learned a lot of things from him. Um, taking a lot of things and I've come back into this partnership as I'm trying to lead this team now um, try and give Ken as many points as possible from what I've learned in the through the partnership um, and I think it, it's it's it started really well I think um, I'm being a lot more vocal communication's a lot better um, I think we're being a lot more professional um, and I think that's only going to help us in the long run for this partnership and I have to ask at the risk of your older brother giving me a bit of a look here but going from playing with a multiple Grand Slam champion, you know, genuinely, you know, watching from afar, I, I've looked at you as a Grand Slam champion and I've messaged you about that a couple of times to the perception of someone who's on the downside of his career, getting closer to 40. Why have you, is, is that not a backward move that you've made? Uh, I mean, people would obviously would say that, but... I mean, I had a few offers to play with other guys higher ranked rather than play with Ken. And I, I thought, for me, Ken's ranking is a lot lower than his actual playing ability. Because um, I, mean, I know Ken doesn't play as many weeks as he, he would like, but I have the utmost confidence in Ken's ability. I know how he can play. I'd rather play with Ken rather than play with someone in, the, in like the 30s or the 40s ranking um, because I trust Ken a lot more. Um, I can be a lot more open with him and we've grown up together we know our, each other's game very well inside and out um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to the partnership I, I mean I, I have no not regrets but I would say I'm, I'm not hesitant on, on this partnership I have full confidence in it um, if it doesn't work out then we'll come to agreement where um, we'll both go a different way but I don't I, I can't see that happening I can only see that when Ken retires and I'm looking forward to it um, I'm excited, um, and I think we can do really well. Awesome. I, I have no doubts, boys. But, but I guess I guess those questions have to be asked, and and the same the same with you, Ken. I guess 
you know, from the outside, you know, you it, it looked as if you could be almost coming to retirement, you know, going down that road. And I guess if this wasn't your brother, you know, you're probably not going to get that opportunity to play with someone as high at the stage of your career in. So, so how, how, how does that feel? Do you feel pressure because of that? Or do you feel like you've got a new lease of life? I think it's got to be a bit of both really. Um, it's, it's a fear in the sense that I, I don't want to let anybody down, especially for the fact that Neil's worked so hard to get his ranking up. Um, but we, we all know from the, from the way the sport works is, is you, you can only focus on what's coming next week. All the, all the things that have happened in the last 12 months, it's irrelevant. You've got to p- focus on your next match. How are you going to prepare yeah. for that? And when I was playing last year, I actually thought I was doing okay. I, I actually thought I was a bit disappointed in some of the results that I'd had because I actually thought I was playing pretty well, uh, considering obviously all the, all the issues that we had with lockdown and stuff like that. So we're in a very unusual time in the sense that we, we could be playing, you know, first match against guys who potentially have had two weeks in a, in, in a hotel room. So yeah. we, we could start well or we could play against, you know, guys who have, who have had two good weeks and, and they play well and, and, we, and we could lose. But we've, we've got to focus on how we're going to make this partnership work for the future. And I still feel like physically, I mean, I mean, you know, good enough position where I can, I can compete against the best players. I've, I've now got a great partner next to me who's going to, sort of uh, steer the ship more and uh, I, I don't feel like my level is is not capable of producing great tennis still I, I, I definitely feel it's it's still there for me to to play well and and do things that I haven't achieved already and and obviously playing playing with Neil who's achieved that already there's there's no fear in us going far in slams absolutely and, and to move to I suppose the split up you know I guess doubles is filled with kind of divorces and new marriages all all the time and i guess from the outside and 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 i i had i had an inkling if i'm if i'm honest what watching you neil i watched quite a bit of you and jamie and i watched i watched the match against kubot and Mello, and and i don't know trying to think where that was and if, if i'm honest i was yeah, we- scr- it was uh, we played the Vienna final, and then the weekend yes. that we played them in the Paris Masters second yes. round, I think. Yes, and I was, I believe, if you'd won that match, you were going to make the final eight, or it was close, getting close enough. And if I'm honest, I was screaming at the television because I was like, "Come on, come on, come on!" But like, and and it always it felt watching watching you and Jamie play together. You were you were the youth and you were the power, but obviously he was the the natural leader because of his position in, in doubles. And I wasn't seeing enough from him, if I was honest. And and I was and and I didn't see I didn't really see this this partnership that was that was exploding. And I was watching it with Sean, who you know you guys know really well. And I was like, I was come on, boys, I need some more energy. I need some more energy. So it didn't come as a massive shock to me when I when I heard the split. Was was it a shock to you? Was it you know how how do those things come about? Um, yeah, so basically, towards the, the end of the year, we were going for the last eight to play in, in London. Um, and we had opportunities. If we had won a match here and there, then we'd have qualified. So we, we made the final of Vienna, lost to Kubat Mello. If we'd won that match, we probably would have qualified. And then we played them again the week after in Paris Masters um, in the second round. And we, we lost again in a super tiebreak. For me, I just thought that the super tiebreak that we lost, it was a pretty poor. Yep. There was there was no fight in it. There yep, was there was something that was something was missing. 
And you could just tell how happy Kubot Mello were to win that match. And they obviously went on to make the finals. We we went on after that to play um, Sofia. So we were fighting for the last eight with Melter, Roger Veselin. And we had to basically win the tournament and they had to lose in the semi-final. And um, they made the final. We made the final. So they qualified. They pulled out of the final. Um, so actually, me and Jamie won our first title together. Yeah. Um, so we ended up going to London as the first reserve. And then once I got there, basically all hell had broke loose with the partnerships. Yeah. Um, I, I found out that Bruno and Mate had split up after having an unbelievable year. Uh, Mate was playing at Mectic. And then basically this domino effect carried on everyone was split and trying to get better partners and then I kind of not had an inkling but I heard that Bruno was the one that was left out okay. and then that's when I kind of thought okay here we go this could be a uh, yep. little chance for Jamie to get out of the, the the partnership and maybe go back with Bruno um, and then that very next day uh, basically Jamie uh, communicated in a way that <laughs> that he was going to play with Bruno and, and that was the end of the partnership really uh, I won't go into any more details with how it all happened but it was uh, I wasn't that surprised um, but it's opened up a door for me to play with Ken again and I couldn't be any more excited for the partnership because I actually didn't think I'd play with Ken again um, because I thought by the time I had finished with Jamie. I thought Ken may have stopped. Yep. But to, to have the opportunity to play with my brother again, travel the world, play with your brother, it's, uh, it's an incredible thing. And it's uh, something you need to kind of cherish. And it doesn't happen all the time. So I'm looking forward to it. And I think we can uh, do some great things this year. You've just given me goosebumps, man. Talking about talking about getting back with your with your brother, and it's and it's true, and it's that's the one thing. And I, I have I've watched a lot, and not that you need to ever listen to me, Neil, but I, I've watched a lot. You are absolutely, without question, one of the best doubles players in the world, and you know there's no there's zero doubt in my mind about that. When I've watched, it, I feel you need a partner that you trust, you feel comfortable with. That's that's no disrespect to Jamie. He's a world-class doubles player, but I don't believe his strength is taking someone under his wing and and making them feel good, making them feel comfortable. And you've got the very man to do it here, here in Ken. And I'm so excited to watch it. I know, I know so many people are to see what you boys can can achieve. I one more question just on the on the domino effect, because I think it's a really fascinating subject. <laughs> Not that for you to get involved in other people's business, but for the listeners, Bruno Suarez and Mate Pavic <laughs> finished the world world number one. And and I believe they also won the O2. Did they win the end of year finals or not? No, no, no. Um, it was uh, Mektik Kulahov. That's right. So Mektik, that's right. So, but Mektik was also that was his last last event before he's switching. So, why? What? Why are these people splitting? Is it uh, what? 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 Ha- what happens? Is success not enough? Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it depends. I mean, if a lot of the time it's dependent on if you get along with each other, because you, I mean, you're basically living with each other twenty four seven. 
you have to get along with the guy. It's like a relationship. Yeah. Um, obviously, they did well. I mean, I know in the past there's a lot of doubles guys that basically didn't get along. I think maybe Zimanich and Daniel Nesta, they were number one in the world. They were winning Grand Slams every week. I mean, but I don't think they got along, but they stuck to it because it was a business yeah. and they, um, they were making millions from it. But then on the, the flip side of it, obviously Bruno and Mate obviously haven't, they've thought we're doing well together, but I don't, I'm not enjoying it. Yeah, so yeah. They've, they've wanted something new. Obviously, Mate is gone with uh, Mektik, who's also Croatian. Maybe they're thinking maybe towards the Olympics this year, yeah. um, trying to play some before competing in that event. Um, so you, you've got to you got to get along with the person that you're playing with. I think you've got to enjoy it uh, because it, it it can be miserable. And being back with with Ken, it's it's great. We we know each other inside and out. We like the same things. We drink massive amounts of coffee. Ken supports Liverpool. I support Liverpool. So yeah, we have the same um, things, and it's I mean I'm going to enjoy, it and it's basically less stressful um, when you're traveling and playing tournaments. You can be a lot more freer. And enjoy it more. As you're talking about it, Man United, Man United won all. They haven't gone two one up. Don't worry, but they won all against Fulham. Oh, good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and what about you, Ken? I guess from the, have you probably got a different opinion or a different lens of Neil's game now? Because I would imagine you've, you know, I know we've messaged quite a bit when he's played in big matches, and you know, you've seen him from a different place rather than being by the side of him on the court to, to have almost that outside of view. Do you think that'll help now as, as you, as you come back together? Yeah. I mean, as I said, obviously when we first started together as the mentor, I'd always looked at Neil and thought there's definitely areas that he could improve on. And I knew he was capable of doing it. It was just trying to get his discipline and his, and his understanding of the, the subtlety of doubles at the top level is a lot, a lot of guys, don't necessarily do too many amazing things. They, they're just super, I mean, they're in the world of being super solid, doing what's best for them and their style sort of will get them over the line uh, rather than trying to play Hollywood shots. And, and Neil was re- renowned as a young kid as being able to have that talent to go for, you know, go for broke on things and pull it off. But you also can't take that away from players. And, and sometimes I feel like I need to use Neil's strengths as for, for a partnership for, for all of us to sort of try to, to come together as a team, but also use Neil in the moments where I, I think he can step up to the occasion, be big and bold yep. and play the type of tennis that he wants to play uh, within the, you know, the, the realms of what Louis has sort of advised us on how to play and, and Anthony, who we work with at home and, and just come together as a team to, to maximise both of our strengths. And, and I think watching Neil on the outside, it was clear that I, I, I wasn't necessarily always happy that Neil was was playing to a system that he wasn't comfortable playing with. Even though he could do it, I would like to see him express himself a little bit more and and put use Neil's returns, let's say, to his yep. advantage because I think he's he's definitely improved over the years with that. And, and that's... You know, there are subtle things in the game that we, we, we obviously need to work on together just to sort of refresh things. But that's what these two weeks before the Australian Open swing will, will start. And, and hopefully we can get off to a good start. And I've noticed that in this conversation, obviously Neil 
has been given a better bedroom with better Wi-Fi. Is that is that how they're working in Australia right now? The higher your ranking, the better your Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's very <laughs> it's very tough watching the old uh, football on the Wi-Fi. It keeps cutting out. Um, waking up at like three AM to watch Liverpool versus Man United wasn't the best of ideas this week. But uh, it's, um, I mean, it, like you said, Australia. We're here. We're in here for two weeks in the quarantine. Things very strict. Um, I think it's the Victorian government that are kind of running the show here, rather than Tennis Australia. But we uh, we're trying to embrace it. We get five hours a day out outside. To, we get two hours on the court, we get an hour and a half in the gym, and then we get to do an hour of nutrition. Um, but then we're back to the room straight away and basically waiting for our next schedule for the next day to come out and then do the, the, do the same thing every day, really. And, and how have you, from your side, Ken, have you managed to keep up with the, it's, it's, kind of, it's become a big global story, you know, that there's all of these prima donna tennis players have gone to Australia, they're complaining. I said tongue in cheek there about the Wi-Fi, but they're complaining about the Wi-Fi. One of the girls has got mice in a room. You know, there's like this whole thing. And then you've obviously got people that are then jumping in and saying, who do they think they are? They get, they're making all this money. How How's that affect you as, as a player when you're hearing all of that? Yeah, I mean, it, it was the initial shock, really. I mean, a lot of players aren't used to the idea of being cooked up inside for 14 days. And and the idea got worse in the sense that every sort of hour or two, you know, it was an interesting sort of time to sort of follow it on Twitter, follow it on emails and, and sort of WhatsApp groups of the next thing was sort of going wrong. And it was it was almost spiral out of control on day one and two because everybody sort of didn't know how to sort of deal with the idea of being in the room for 14 days. And it was a shame, obviously, because a lot of the things that were happening with regards to people testing positive, it was actually none of the players. It was it was it was staff members or it was um, flight attendants. So it was a little bit of a shame for the players that who, who have done the, their their job to sort of stay negative and then get on the flight, come over here, get into their rooms, and then find out that they're going to have to stay there for fourteen days because of a situation that I don't think they were all completely aware of. In the sense that if it was a close contact on a flight, that they had to sort of be considered a, a threat and. I think Australia have done a fantastic job with the number of cases that they've had. I think they've had less than a thousand deaths over incredible. the course of the pandemic, which is, it is incredible. And you have to respect them for that. And, and they do it with a very strict protocol and we all have to abide by it. And when you come to a tennis tournament, a lot of the players, I think, assume that they can just get what they need to sort of um, get their preparation right. But this is not a normal tournament. We're not in normal circumstance. And, the Australian Open are doing an unbelievable job to make this whole project work. But as Neil said at the moment, the government are in total control of what's going on in this room uh, and in this hotel and on the other hotels where, where a couple of other you know hotels are sort of uh, used as, as quarantine locations. And it's so far, it has been a little bit of uh, an interesting start. But I think now everything's settled down. Everybody's got themselves into a bit more of a routine and, and sort of accepted some players are going to have to be there for 14 days in their room and other players are, are luckily enough to get out and, and practice. And, and I think from, from the outside boys, it's like, look, when we can all put perspective on it. And I think when we all put perspective on it, of course, 14 days in a hotel in Australia, 
doing a job you love eventually, you know, getting paid perspective comparison to the rest, the rest of the world, or other people in certain parts of the world. But I think that doesn't mean that we can't have sympathy, especially for those who are, have been on one of those flights that now <laughs> they're going to be stuck. They're going to be underprepared. You know, they, let's be honest that they're, they're not, especially the singles guys, the singles guys aren't going to be physically fit to be playing five sets to the, to, to where they were after putting in such a, such a tough preseason. But I guess the question that really is on my mind when I've looked at all of this, because I can see all all sides, but I, but I think as players need to be careful not to come across too whingy, and I think some have. Did Tennis Australia and the government of Australia, Victoria, make it clear to tennis players of what the protocols were? So, Neil, if I ask that question to you, would you say you were clear on that before you travelled? Uh, I would say yes, in a way. I mean, there was plenty of Zoom calls. There was plenty of documents sent out by Tennis Australia saying that, like, for example, the, the flight situation. If someone tests positive on your flight, then you're going to be quarantined for two weeks. I think the I think the rule is with the, the government is if you're in close contact with over a two hour period, then you have to quarantine. So obviously a fourteen hour flight from Dubai to Melbourne is obviously over two hours. So I mean I think a lot of the players they get these Zoom calls and they don't listen they don't they don't go on them and they don't read the documents. They leave it to up to the, like their agents or the coaches to read it. And I think there's the communication between players and, and their team isn't good enough. So I think Tennis Australia have done a very good job of getting this event on and tell the players the possibilities of this could happen. I mean, there's probably a few things that they didn't tell us about um, that, I, that I don't know about because I'm not the one that's kind of in quarantine right now. I'm basically doing the, the five hours that which they said would happen. So I'm perfectly fine with it. But I'm sure there's a lot of guys, they're reading documents now and finding out um, maybe if I knew this beforehand, that maybe wouldn't have come. It, so it sounds as if that negligence falls on the players because if you, as you said, you, you knew that if somebody was positive on your flight, you would be quarantining for, for 14 days. Now, it sounds like the players that are complaining about that, that said they didn't know that, they didn't know that because they didn't go on the Zoom calls. They didn't know that because they didn't read the documents. And it's just like, it's like Maria Sharapova when she got done for doping. She claimed that she hadn't read the latest doping protocols or her team hadn't read the latest doping protocols. As a professional athlete, to be doing something of this magnitude, it is absolutely the player's responsibility to 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 take care of that to to read what is sent to to listen to what's sent and it's completely unfair if they're putting that on tennis australia if tennis australia hadn't communicated that then there's negligent negligence on tennis australia and 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 i think that should be quite easy to to understand just from a, from a document or from a zoom call it should be easy to prove yeah for sure yeah, I, mean, I mean go ahead now i i, I think the the initial stress for players, I think, was the idea that the top guys are actually over in Adelaide 
and that there was always preferential treatment for two or three of the top players, which I think really annoyed a lot of players in the sense that they didn't understand the whole logistical nightmare that I think Australia were going through when they had to use another venue in a different city. Um, it ended up that they needed to offer a exhibition and a fundraising event at a, at a, at a different location uh, to sort of meet the allocation of number of rooms that they required. And they obviously needed the top players to go to a different venue to do that. And to be fair, I totally understand it. I mean, you know, Novak and Rafa, you know, get a lot of respect for the things that they've achieved in the game. And, and, and it's just the same in, in life. A lot of the top, top people get more than the average player. Uh, and it's, it's not unusual. This is, these things have been happening in the game for, you know, ever since I can remember. It's just, you know, it's blown, not blown out of proportion, but it, it's made a much greater thing because there's always three levels now because there's obviously the players that are here are still doing the normal stuff. And then obviously the next tier down in terms of everybody that's sort of locked away for 14 days. So I'm not in the singles draw and I, and I totally understand it. I, I mean, I would, I couldn't think of anything worse if I came out of 14 days of lockdown and find myself drawn against Rafa or Novak in the first round because I, w- I would think that would be a uh, going into the lion's den and, and it would be very unpretty because, I mean, I, we did two or three days here when when we arrived and to go out on day four to practice, it, it you, you know, your body doesn't feel right. So to have to do that for another 10 days and to be in peak physical condition, I think it's going to be really difficult for them. What's the, what's the realities, Neil? If we talk about doubles, I think we kind of know from a singles point of view, from a doubles point of view, I would, I would imagine there is some doubles guys that are in 14 days of quarantine. How big of a disadvantage is that? I think, I mean, I think it's, pretty big actually um i mean they're definitely not going to be as sharp around the net i mean stuff like first volleys it, it just, it just need, you need repetition with that stuff and these guys are going to be cooked up in the room they're probably doing first volleys against the wall at the moment or the window i mean i've seen loads of videos of yeah. people trying to get creative and it's it's not ideal we did um, pre-season i did some in the states and then i came back and did we were doing some outside in liverpool and it was like three degrees or something and then you come out over here and it's the temperature's only getting warmer. It's meant to be like close to 40 degrees on Sunday. We're going to be adapting to that and trying yeah. to, our body's going to start to get used to it. And then these guys are going to come out of being in a room for over two weeks. And it's going to be a big shock to the system. Yeah. So maybe, maybe the, the tennis, they, some guys are talented. They, they'll get away with it, but maybe the, the conditions itself will, will hit them and they, the body won't be able to react in time. And it, 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 I mean, it, I, I do feel for them because um, it's not really their fault. And they've been, there's been talks of maybe pushing the, the event back a little bit, a few days. I think maybe there was talk of the WTA putting one of the events after the Aussie Open beforehand and pushing the Aussie Open back, changing the five sets to three sets for the singles guys. But I don't think anything's going to change. I think Craig, Craig Tiley and Tennis Australia have come out and said that's not going to happen. Uh, but they will try and help the people in quarantine as much as possible with maybe more core time at, on Melbourne Park because at the moment we're we're at Albert Reserve. We're actually not at uh, the Aussie Open. Um, so as you said, it, it it will be tough for the people coming out of quarantine. I do feel for them, but I mean, there's a lot of people in the same situation. So we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and see. I guess when when it all happens and when people start when the tournament starts. 
And moving back to you guys as a partnership into into 2021, what's what can we expect from the Skupski brothers in 2021? Have you guys set any goals? Is that something that you do that works for you guys? Or is it a case of just take it as it comes? At the, at the moment, we haven't set any long-term goals. I think um, fundamentally, we, we don't know the schedule properly yet for the season, so how it's going to play out. I mean, we're, we're, we're aware of the next sort of two to three months, but it's, it's an ongoing, it's a fluid situation where we want to try and play as much as possible um, and get into as many events as possible. Um, so for, for me, I want to get to start playing at the Masters Series events. I've never played one. I mean, I've, I've played tennis for a long time and I'm very disappointed in the fact that I've never been able to play a Masters Series event. So to be able to play them bigger events will be great. And I definitely think we've, we've got a chance of going, you know, doing well in slams. I mean, I made quarters here last year. Um, Neil's made a semis of a slam. So I, I feel like we've, We've got the tennis in us to go far at Islam and there's no reason why Australia can't be the, the, the perfect opportunity because I think the game style with the, the conditions suit us and I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting out there and, and, and putting our best game on the court and, and see where it takes us. And Ken, I have to ask you as well, a father of three, which I can relate to very well, you know, How's that going to be? Because I would imagine even with the Australia trip, it's a, it's a commitment of a five, six weeks. You know, how, how, how's that going to be? And, and is that something I would imagine that you've had to discuss with your wife, Haley as well for the next, next year or two ahead? Yeah, she, she, she knows I'm obviously, you know, I'm not getting any younger. So tennis isn't going to be something that's going to happen um, for a, a number of years. It's, 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 it's going gonna, it's gonna to close off you know, fairly soon in, in some ways. Um, but she is very much aware of the fact that it's, you know, it's good money at this level. And, and I don't think it's something that I could be able to do at home anytime soon. So I've obviously got a balanced life um, because I, I do miss the family when I'm away. But normally I try to limit the number of tournaments in a row to three. Um, that's sort of like my cutoff. But because of the way the situations work with Australia, the only way to be here is to sort of guarantee that I'm away for at least four and a half, five, six weeks. So she understood it. She was happy with it. Um, and it's, you know, we've got to make it work for the fact that to make a partnership work, you've got to, you've got to, you know, make do with what the situation is. And, and, and we're doing that right now. And, and she, you know, at the moment she's okay. She's doing a bit of homeschooling tomorrow and, you know, the boys have been, you know, doing okay. It's, it's not easy as you know, with three, three kids, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, one minute it can all be uh, all great, and then five minutes later the the world's going to end. So it's uh, it's a difficult situation, um, but we're you know I've got an understanding why she that's why I'm still playing the game, and she understands the the excitement everybody's got around us playing together again. And I'm sure Uncle Neil can come and smooth that out with some little little presents or something for the you know the being an uncle's the best job in the world, huh? Yeah, I mean it's it's amazing. I mean it's Ken's got three little ones, and I uh, I do enjoy looking after them if you uh, when I'm back and seeing them. But it's always nice to give them back to Ken at the end of the day once they're all uh, riled up and full of sweets and candy. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it is tough over here. The little one of the guy um, his middle one Noah. I try and FaceTime him nearly every day, and he just cancels me every time. He obviously doesn't want to speak to me, or he's too busy watching YouTube or cartoons. But yeah, it, it it is it is tough being on the road. Every time I see them, it, I enjoy it and I love them. But 
it's I don't know I don't know how Ken can do it with being the father of the three and um, being away so much. So um, it it is nice to be back with Ken and um, back with the family. I guess. Tell a little secret, Neil. When you're the father, you actually. You can't say this on a podcast, but him getting five weeks of silence. Do you know what I mean? You can still <laughs> see them on FaceTime. You know, he can do his little half an hour, 45 minute little cameo appearance. Yeah. And then he gets a good night's sleep. He doesn't get he doesn't get someone jumping on him in the morning. He doesn't have anyone screaming at him that they need to go to the toilet and that they want this and they want that. I would say I would say it's not politically politically correct, but I would say he's probably got a good end of the deal over these next few weeks. <laughs> Boys, I'm conscious yeah. of your time. I know that you guys need to go and practice. And we always do a quick fire. You guys have done your quick fire, but I do have a really quick fire one for you. And Ken, you're going to go first in the first question. Neil, first in the second. There's only four questions. Okay. Australian Open related. Who is, the, who is going to be the female winner of the singles at the Australian Open? Ken. Uh, I'm going to go with Simona Halep. Neil. Ozaka. The men's winner, singles. Neil. Djokovic. Djokovic. Who's the outsider for us to watch in the men's side singles at this year's Australian Open, Ken? Um, Not necessarily to win it, but somebody who's going to kind of come of age in this Australian Open. Nick Kyrgios. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, Su Wu Kwan. He hits the ball so cleanly, that boy. Oh, clean yeah. as a whistle. And and what about an outsider on the women's side? Got to go. go Got to go. With the British Fran, girls. Fran, Fran Jones. Yes. I'm going to go. Jennifer Brady. Ooh. Very good, boys. And what about who's going to win the who's going to win the men's doubles? Skupski brothers. There we go, boys. Uh, honestly, lads, great to great to catch up. Yeah, you've given me goosebumps a couple of times in this talk, and when I heard that you boys. It got together. It, it felt right. I, I was I was checking Twitter every day. I was asking Sean if he'd spoke to you every day. Um, I'm so pleased to see it. And and whatever happens, you've absolutely hit the nail on the head, Neil. Earlier on in this podcast, it's about enjoying these experiences. You know, people sometimes are chasing the absolute wrong thing. You know, you enjoy the experience, you get the right connections, and that's when great things happen. And we're all behind you. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. Dan. Thanks for having thanks for having us on, Kent. Dan. <laughs> Cheers, boys. <laughs> See you later, mate. A big thank you to the Skupski brothers, Ken and Neil, for jumping on at such late notice onto the podcast. Great to chat to the boys. Great to see them back together. And I have no doubts that they're going to have a fruitful relationship on the court over the next few months. My takeaways from that, the enjoyment of experience, you know, the insight that they gave, the insight that Neil gave that what's happening at the very top end of the doubles game, the fact that these guys are splitting up, Suarez splitting up with Pavic, whichever way around it was, when they finished the year-end world number one doubles team, you know, and and then obviously the merry-go-round that then hit from there that has left Jamie Murray, 
choosing to play with Bruno Suarez again, leaving Neil with nowhere to turn. So who's he going to turn to? He's going to turn to his brother. And what was the reason? The reason was, this is who I'm happiest with. You know, I'm going to spend a lot of time with my doubles partner. I want to make sure that I'm enjoying that time. There's more to it than just playing tennis matches. There's the travel time. There's the meal time. There's the practice time. You know, you really are getting into a pretty intense relationship. And to hear that insight and to see that just people are splitting up because they don't get on, I think was a, a, a fantastic message to hear and really refreshing to hear how the boys have gone about their business. My second learning that might have come through on the podcast, but if not, I know the boys really well. And I know that Ken has absolutely supported Neil over the last couple of years. It was hard for him to take when the split happened a couple of years ago when Jamie Murray came knocking. But Ken dealt with it in such a, a fantastic way. You know, always gave his brother his full backing and, and, and supported him. And it's lovely to see towards the twilight of Ken's career that he gets that second chance to play with his younger brother, Neil, when maybe he thought that wasn't, wasn't going to happen. So the best of luck to the boys. A big thank you to you all. I'm pleased we can bring these bonus episodes. It's not often we get all these tennis players in a hotel room, nowhere to go, but talk to us on the podcast. And we thank them all for that. And we love all the messages that are coming through. Any ideas of any more tennis players, let's be cheeky. Let's keep on asking them. Now's the time, guys. Let's get them on. Next Tuesday, the next podcast drops you don't want to miss it. It's a it's a fascinating conversation. It really is with Mark Petchy. He has so many layers to his conversation, the topics that we go into, and it's another absolute classic that you're going to love. We look forward to that one coming out. But until then, I'm Dan Kiernan, and we are Control the Controllables. Control the Controllables.